Greetings, Parashorphans and Retrogrades. Happy Tuesday. Today, I come to you with an interesting, interesting story. Not really precedented and not really repeated in the news cycle, aside from one sole place, which is Newsmax. Vatican preps for Conclave as Pope is dying. Now, I, I did, to the extent that I could, a vetting of this story, and it looks to be legit. It's a key, powerful, insider, Vatican cardinal, that is saying that the Vatican is already in pre-conclave mode. It doesn't appear to be the sense in which one would universalize the church and say, oh, you know, the Curia of the Vatican is always in pre-conclave mode. The Pope is dying. This is what a, a cardinal very close to him says. Let me give you the details as we get into it, parish orphans and retrogrades. Remember, as this video goes forward, like, subscribe, click the notification bell, leave a comment. And, of course, if you want to support this channel, the best way to do it is on patreon.com. Go to Timothy J. Gordon. Hail to our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate you patrons. There's a new tier, a $20 tier, called the St. Luke's Single Society, which is having a meeting this Thursday night at 8, what is it, 8 Central? And this is one of the best ways that parish orphans and retrogrades can meet each other, young singles who want to meet their spouse. Also in 2022, the Patreon benefits to our lovely patrons are going to be enhanced Thank you all for your direct support. If you want to support the channel a little less directly, buy any of the three books associated with this channel, written by yours truly. Catholic Republic is my first book, which started it all. The Namesake, Rules for Retrogrades, which I co-authored with my brother. And The Case for Patriarchy, my new book out now about the restorming of the Christian household, which must be undertaken if society's restoration is to be successful. Finally, support realestateforlife.org. Go there if you are a conservative Christian blue stater. Get out of your blue state. Get to a red state like I did. Go to realestateforlife.org before it's too late. And by too late, I mean something very specific. I mean, b before uh, the Omicron scare is used by blue state governors to lock you in your state, to lock you in your home. Get out, get to a free red state. True America does still survive. It does still survive in red states, particularly in the really red states, in the broad swath of conservative Americana from Texas to California, which is where I suggest you get. Let a realestateforlife.org pro-life Christian probably a Catholic, help you to do so by going to that website, realestateforlife.org today. So, I, like I said, I was skeptical when I first read this Newsmax article. I'm not so skeptical now. It is almost exclusively their reportage that carries the story that the Vatican preps for a conclave as Pope is dying. Uncritical skepticism is unwelcome uncritical optimism or uh, credibility is unwelcome. I, I remember back in July when the Pope had his colon surgery, 
he stayed in the hospital in Jameli there for 10 days. It was supposed to be an in and out surgery. So the Vatican is known to sit on health problems. The, the Newsmax article doesn't speculate too much as to what the health culprit is behind the uh, article, behind the story that the Pope is dying. He is 84 years old, though, and it can be essentially anything. I'll read it to you because this is a platinum-level uh, membership article on Newsmax, and many of you don't have that. This is John Giese reporting. In the past few days, I've spoken to the secretary of one of the most powerful Vatican cardinals. He shared with me some important revelations for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. First, he said plainly, Pope Francis is dying. At 84, it has long been viewed that the Holy Father is physically and perhaps mentally not well. Last July, the Pope spent an extraordinary 10 days in Rome, in a Rome hospital, supposedly for surgery of the colon to manage diverticulitis, a disorder, a disorder of the colon wall. We all found that somewhat incredible. 10 days is beyond the pale for that small in-and-out surgery. I'll continue in a second, but I will tell you this. I'm going to give you a short list of papabili, the candidates who are considered the most likely to become pope, and a little bit of good news which we don't often share or, or harvest here on Rules for Retrogrades, but there's a little bit of good news as to the expected coming conclave in 2022, which, uh, according to this cardinal, Pope Francis is unlikely to escape with his life, 2022. So we'll go through some of the pap papabili, and we'll note one common characteristic among them, which constitutes a little bit of good news. I'll continue with the article now. Um, cancer was never mentioned back in the summer, but others fear the Pope's condition is more than has been said publicly. Of course, this is just John Giese reporting. This is not the Vatican insider cardinal uh, mentioning what the cause of what is expected to be the impending death of Francis in early 2022 is based on. Vatican insiders, including my source, says Giese, do not believe he will survive past 2022. In fact, he tells me that Vatican officials are already in pre-conclave mode. This is not a usual, ordinary course of affairs in the Vatican. And preparing the logistics for Pope Francis's passing. After a pope passes, the church calls a conclave, as you all know, of the College of Cardinals to pick a successor. Who will replace, replace Francis? The number one papabili, according to Gizzi, has shot to the top of the list compared to the conclave eight years ago. He was there, low on the list, but now he's number one, allegedly. The secretary said the early favorite is Cardinal Peter Erdo of Hungary. I've I know him a little bit uh, by by his reputation. I remember him being on some of the odds makers lists from 2013, but he he's evidently the early favorite. He was never anywhere near it in 2013. Erdo speaks seven languages and is considered a church centrist, but he also respects traditionalists, according to Newsmax. Remember, it's a secular rag. They don't necessarily understand all of the categories that go into what, what ought to be considered proper traditionalism. 
Cardinal Pietro Paroline, the Vatican Secretary of State, long thought to be the next pope, is out of the running because of the diplomatic agreement he made with Beijing, which is, which is I think, a fact. That Paroline, who was secretary, Cardinal Secretary of State, they call him Stato, uh, probably would have been a top three candidate, Papabili. But, of course, it is widely, widely known and cringed at within the Vatican and out how badly this Chinese deal has gone, even among centrists in the church. The deal was a bad one, insiders say. And Francis and Paroline ceded too much control of the Chinese Roman church to the communists. Now, Gizzi says, do not expect another church liberalist pope. And perhaps, I, I'm just speculating for the moment, whether the conclave is 2022, 2023, it, it probably will not be far off. Erdo has probably surged to the front of the pack as a church centrist who is not hateful or spiteful to Catholic traditionalists, from what I remember and from what this guy reports, because here's a little bit of good news, a little light at the end of the tunnel. Pope Francis is so unpopular. He's not only unpopular with right-wingers, the way parish orphans, retrogrades, we, we figure that we're in something of an echo chamber. Maybe we were in 2013 or 2014. I never, never trusted this pope, but and I never liked this pope. But, and he was popular then. The wind has shifted, though. You know, 2013, 14, 15, he was celebrated even by centrists and center-right wingers who don't understand Catholic ecclesiology as, you know, a pope of hope, a pope of change. Even conservative Protestants were like, hey, man, maybe he'll, he'll make the church a little more like the conservative Protestant church, right? You know, he'll make it easier on... Uh, divorced and remarrieds and contraception, they don't understand that that goes with liberalism, theologically, politically, culturally, and that only a liberal would do that, which is something that our Protestant brothers and sisters, even the conservatives ones, don't understand about their own theology. Whole other show, though. This is not that day. Now, Pope Francis is very unpopular. He's known as a leftist extremist, and... So he has made those like the, the next names as Papabili that I, three, four years ago, might have listed as the most Papabili, the most likely to become Pope. He's carried them down with him insofar as they're closely associated with him. You'll recognize the names on the list. Okay, do not expect another church liberalist Pope, says Gizzi. Well, it is true Francis picked many cardinals from the periphery. And this is a good point. I hadn't thought about this much. As he once put it, these third-wave princes of the church are considered quite conservative. Now, again, Gizzi's not a Catholic. He might not understand this, but this thing that became a trope, a, a common talking point, almost a meme among myself and others. Oh, Francis has now elected 55 60% of the, the um, age-eligible cardinals. So the next conclave is going to be a catastrophe. It's going to produce a doppelganger to Francis. That's not how it works. Because the nature of those he's been picking from Southeast Asia, some from Africa, they are, even though he favors them as a man of the left, the way the left always favors the periphery, the third world, the third world 
is not does not have the same moral fetid rot that the West has, that Europe and America have. So that that that's a cause for hope. Francis has declined to have customary church meetings, as a matter of fact, of the leading cardinals, and many now simply don't know each other. Remember, Francis has done consistories, the opposite of conclaves, very differently than the ordinary course of dealing. He is not letting the College of Cardinals get acquainted one with the other. And this is something that I've known all along. Why is he doing this? It's his Peronist bent. Don't let your lieutenants get too cozy with one another. All of a sudden, they become Brutus and Cassius. They can turn on you. They can critique you at the very least. Francis has left himself open on that score. And the score is specifically, even as he's named all of these cardinals, he might lose control, as Gizzi will report at the end of this article. Uh, he can't be ahead of the story when the story is his own death, his own imminent death, and the way that the Cardinals will behave in a post-Francis world, where he's gone far too far. He's the Sankt Gallen mafia mafioso, and even centrists in the church say, well, we don't like this. So you don't know me as an optimist, but this trope that he's named so many of the Cardinals could actually backfire on him. So, uh, the big question, according to Gizzi, is how these cardinals will get along at the next conclave. Francis, he says, has declined to have customary church meetings of the leading cardinals, and many simply don't know each other. It's been Francis's strategy from the beginning to keep everyone distant and separate one cardinal shared. Very interesting. Very Peronist. The Pope is said to be worried that his critics may organize if he were to call general meetings. He knows that he's been taking big steps... And even the slow, sluggardly centrists in the church, in the world, will say enough is enough at some point. And I think he's past that point. It appears the next conclave may be beyond his control. John Giese is chief political columnist and White House correspondent for Newsmax. Now, so the other names on the list that I think have dropped significantly in papabili ratings would be Luis Tagle, a 63-year-old whose close association with the Pope probably won't help. Uh, we already mentioned Paraline, who's 66 years old. He's probably out, according to Gizzi. Always leave it to Catholic prelates to steal defeat from the jaws of victory and give us a, a Paraline papacy even though he's basically made the worst deal in the history of deals with China. Essentially giving them uh, simoniac control, investiture, of communist bishops in the official Chinese church. Horrible. Uh, yeah, in another article, this is a catholicculture.org article, it writes, he, he too, kind of like um, uh, Togley, would have both the benefits and the drawbacks of a close association with Pope Francis. And, and that could be a long pontificate. So another lefty, Perline, Togle, that, you know, we've seen what can happen with a medium-length pontificate. Even, even eight years, coming up to nine years of Francis, has been catastrophic for the church. Well, with, what, if a, what if a 65-year-old got in there, 66-year-old? 
20 years of Pope Francis, can you imagine the catastrophe that that would wreck on the church? He has a very distinguished record, does Paraline, as a Vatican diplomat, but he's handicapped by never having served as a diocesan bishop, I guess. And the financial scandals currently swirling around the Secretary of the State uh, will hurt his chances. Also, another close associate of Francis's, this is an older guy by almost 15 years, Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez Maradiaga. Some consider him the very closest person, not just cardinal, person inside the Vatican with Pope Francis. That means monsignors, bishops, archbishops, whatever. Of uh, Honduras, could be a prominent contender in light of his current role chairing the Council of Cardinals. Remember the C-14 that Francis has used almost the entire pontificate. But he will be uh, 79 soon. And both he and the Archdiocese he leads have been implicated in both financial and sex abuse scandals. Maradiaga, more than Togle, more than Paraline even, uh, bears the brunt of this proposition that a close association with Francis will hurt rather than help his chances in the next conclave. It might not have been true. It might have hurt more than it, uh, it might have helped more than it would hurt uh, four years ago, but this is not 2017. In the world of even center, centrist, center right, fear about the odd nature of the beer bug and Francis's com- complicity in the globalist, anti Catholic lockdown mentality, anti uh, vaccine mentality. You know, this is not 2017 anymore, right? 2019, 2020 woke a lot of people up. A lot of people are still asleep, but it woke a lot of people up. Next up on the list is this guy that used to be taken as a conservative. Uh, He's not a conservative. He was the one that presented Amoris Laetitia to the world by Francis's choice, but he used to present at Napa Valley conferences. I remember some friends of mine telling me they thought he was a conservative. Cardinal Christoph Schonborn of Vienna. Um, Yeah, they were also leading Papabile before the last conclave, uh, uh, Sean Bourne was. Uh, Sean Bourne is just turned 75, but, you know, some cardinal electors could favor an older candidate with the prospect of a comparatively short pontificate. Both... um, Sean Bourne and another one, Mark Ouellette, who played a key role in outing Francis with the Theodore McCarrick thing. Both Sean Bourne and Ouellette, who are both about the same age, 75, 76, are former students of Benedict XVI. Isn't that interesting? Both Sean Bourne and Ouellette. That too could be seen as either a plus or a minus. Both of these guys are kind of considered centrists, sometimes on the left, sometimes on the right. So I think that might be kind of, uh, you know, yesterday's news, last conclave's news that Sean Bourne or Ouellette are serious candidates. So I think you're looking at uh, Erdo, Togle, probably not Paraline anymore, Mara Diaga, if it, if, you, if it went seriously left. And then perhaps if we stayed on the left, if that we wanted to have a, a first African pope, of course, you and I would favor Cardinal Sarah. What would be more likely, who was considered very popabile, was Cardinal Turkson, Peter Turkson, very left, kind of a Francis clone from Africa, 
the way Toglay is a Francis Claude from Southeast Asia. But again, his chances might be hurt now. Francis, remember, he could change the world, change the church with four years in office. He pr- Leftists can never give up power. It's a hard thing to do, turn Maximus Decimus Meridian, uh, Meridius and give up the power. But I think if Francis had, just, just as a strategist, you know, if he had come into office, been in there from 2013 to 2017, and then given it up, pulled a Benedict XVI, then unlike Benedict XVI, it would have been very strategic for far leftists in the church. Benedict XVI retiring, you know, he left us to an abusive stepfather. So it was not at all good for, I guess, if you see the right wing of the church as Benedict's people, was not good for us. Francis, uh, uh, an early departure after four or maybe five years, 2018 wouldn't have been too long, the way it was expected and even whispered around the Vatican that he would pull a Benedict from the very outset, that would have been really good. But eight and a half years of Francis has been too long. He is no longer Mr. Popular. There is a climate of fear, some even saying um, internal spying by the Vatican on its own cardinals. that They do not trust him. They do not like this guy. And everyone, we should, of course, pray for Francis's. Uh, this, to me, it has nothing to do with the church at this point. It has to do with the man. Pray for him because it's a, it's a precept of the church. We pray for the Pope. And we, we pray for every, every person ever born. The, the, the church is beyond repairing from within this pontificate. So pray for the conversion of heart of Francis to the tenets of the one true faith. For his sake, um, I, I, I don't expect him to turn an about face and start ruling like a, a faithful good pope. He's, he's been the worst pope in the history of the church, and this pontificate, let's be honest, can't end soon enough. But ironically, the last three years or so have probably turned the political capital in the Vatican, in the College of Cardinals, against the liberals. So actually him surviving the last three years has been a, something of a good thing, though of course that has to be counterbalanced against... Um, against the damage that he's actually done. There's been a lot of bad stuff of accelerationism over the last three years. Um, in, in his own rundown of the Papabili, Vatican watcher Sandro Magister of L'Espresso introduces a name that will be unfamiliar to many American internet watchers. It's according to the catholicculture.org article. I'll link it. Cardinal Mateo, Mateo Zuppi of Bologna a leader of the St. Egidio community, like the Cardinal, the Egidio community is not well known in the U.S., but exercises enormous influence in Italy, Europe, and in Africa, where it has helped to mediate international peace accords. This is a Phil Lawler article I'm, I'm citing from here. By Magister's calculations, that background makes Zuppi the frontrunner to succeed Pope Francis. This article is a little bit old. This is from, from two years ago. Um, almost to the day two years ago, for, uh, Phil Lawler's article, who is most likely to succeed Pope Francis. So that is a name that um, we have not covered tons in, uh, you know, the, the, the American right-wing Catholic media, Zuppi. Zuppi is, uh, a lot of times, remember, at these conclaves, the most papabili 
end up coming third and voting. It's always two relative no-names that are first and second. Sometimes the pop populi leader wins, like like a Ratzinger. But who came second in the Ratzinger conclave of 2005? It was Bergoglio. No one in the world knew who he was, aside from the guys that were, uh, dare I say, canvassing for him, maybe. Yeah, so I'll take questions today as you watch, if, if you have any. This is an interesting situation to watch. It's especially interesting to watch because there seems to be solid information pointing us in the direction of expecting news to break soon that Francis is actually really quite sick. The Vatican sits on this tight. This article that I read with Newsmax, if you want to give my if you want to get my personal uh, Snopes up or down, it sounds legit to me. And what also was legit from July of this past summer was the fact that the Vatican never addressed why Francis was in the hospital for so long. Doesn't make sense. He's 84. Uh, even at 84, a minor, uh, or, 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 um, let's call it a moderate colon surgery should not take 10 days. That is a lot of time in the hospital. Not saying it was colon cancer, but there, it's just, it's not usual. There are a lot of uh, differential diagnoses we could assign um, an old, sickly man being in the hospital for so long. And, and this cardinal would not be speaking, I think, anonymously, yet specifically. Specific speech with anonymous name uh, designation, name preclusion. Please don't give my name, but here's a lot of specific information. That tends to be a combo journalists look for to uh, demarcate uh, authenticity. Okay, do we have any questions? Mm, no, just people um, commenting on whether they think this is um, real or not. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I get it, everyone. You know, when you're kind of new to the show, it's it's fun to say, oh, this probably is fake, but they're, they're actual they're actual parameters that um, one one can learn to tell fake from the real, you know. And this, I, I think, is... Uh, I think I've never been convinced that Francis is a physically well man over the last year, even before this past summer. So I know the Vatican sits on health news very, very tightly. Their, their lips are hermetically sealed until they're ready. You know, they will say he is all good until the moment that they're going to announce that he's actually dying of whatever. I just mean popes in general. So even, you know, 10 minutes before, they, they could be prepping him to go give the announcement, and the official story will be, oh, he's so good. He's never felt better. That's how the Vatican has historically been in the 19th and 20th century with the health of popes. There's a good amount of people, a couple handfuls of people in chat saying they refuse to pray for, for him. It's a precept of the church. You can pray for pray for the health of the Pope. Uh, it's a little difficult to pray for his intentions, knowing um, some of the facts on the ground, right? That you know, given the fact that this is kind of the Martini pontificate, I, I understand that. But um, you know, just always pray for the conversion of heart of this guy, uh, this eighty-four-year-old sinner who. You know, if you look into the the biographies of him that you can get your hands on, looks like he did not live too clean a life, even bouncing the door, 
at a club in in um, Buenos Aires. He's I don't think he's ever been back to Buenos Aires. He's not beloved there. He's got a really bad reputation in and out of the Vatican. I mean, just try to make yourself think. Yeah, he's been really powerful and he's been a bully, and we don't like him. He's been a bully to our kind, you know, Catholic faithfuls and traditionals. Yeah, but think about this from the perspective of eternity. This is the this is what you try to do, right? You're trying to conjure up an apology or some sort of fellow feeling for someone you really don't like. You have to think of them at their weakest. This is an old guy. Yeah, he's been powerful here on earth, but he is going very soon, if this article's correct, or almost very soon, even if this article had never been printed, he's an old guy. Old people die. That's what they do. Very soon. Or one year less than very soon. And he's going to go face his maker. And, of course, he's, he's been a very bad pope. He's been a stumbling block. You, you know the, the scripture on that. So think of this from the perspective of eternity. And then think about it from the perspective of like, wow. I mean, I, I don't think I've done the evils or worked the evils on the church that this guy has. I, I'm rather sure. But we're judged on our own. So just think about you meeting your man. I mean, this is what I do. I don't I don't dabble in prudence because then all of a sudden it's one guy bossing another guy around. I'm just telling you what I do. I've been a critic of this Pope longer than almost all of you, right? I couldn't even get my lengthy, lengthy critical analysis of uh, Laudato Si published anywhere, even in some of the magazines that are now considered more critical of him than me. Just because it was too early, I saw this coming. So I've never liked this Pope. I've been extremely angry at this Pope many times. Had to confess many things I've said privately about this Pope. But um, and this, that's, this is not hot air. You can ask Steph. She's right here. But the point is, he is going to his maker very soon. And we're talking eternal hellfire in the balance. And we shouldn't wish that on anyone, even our enemies. And that's fine. I, I have no problem. Don't talk to me like I'm one of these candy coaters, because I'm not. Yeah, I, I consider Francis, in, in many ways, he's been like an enemy or as an enemy or enemy simplicitaire within the, the, the walls and the halls of the Vatican. I get it. Maybe he is. Seems likely. But we're, we're, we're told to even pray for our enemies. You can't escape that. Yeah. Yeah, Super Chad, thank you. Uh, every Pope of my life has been the left wing of his predecessor. It's a kind of, kind of a, it's a dependable principle, right? We always get more left. What makes people think that the magisterium is, cap is capable of efficient reaction? Um, it's true. I mean, it's, it's called, it's called a ratchet effect, right? I always tell people, expect the worst in politics and culture, which includes the church. I also tell people the church is not, distinct from politics and culture. So I always feel it's very appropriate to talk about the left and the right within the church. I think dummies who are trying to sound smart will say, don't don't talk about the church's left or right. It's neither. That is a load of rich creamery butter, my friends. The church has more left and right, more relevant, more germane left and right than regular secular politics. The one difference, however, so I want to set myself apart from those Pollyanna-ish cliches, Here's the one difference. The church does have this mystagogy, the mystery, the mystique, the sacramental protection, the 
scriptural protection. You know, Christ says the church, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And so that means that it can't just be this, um, you know, eternal slide into more and more leftism. Or else, whether it happened under Francis or not, it would happen in number 267 or 268. Very soon, the church would just no longer be recognizable as, uh, you know, one holy Catholic apostolic at all. Even if those four marks are have been um, obscured, hidden, camouflaged beneath the pontificate of Francis, they would be that much worse. So it can't just be eternal acceleration. So it's a, it, I'm ruling it out by uh, the guardianship, the guarantorship of the Holy Spirit on the church, even without the Pollyannish cliches. Yes, the left hold on to power. Yes, the leftists win. Yes, the leftists play every inch of the board. They don't waste any inch of the, the chess board, any square inch. Yes, the leftists are constantly hungry for more, more, more. What is conservative... Christianity, Christendom, secular world do. We lose, lose, lose. We seed ground. We use their new terms that they just made up last week. Oh, what am I supposed to call a, a black person or a Chinese person or whatever? Like, who cares, right? That's supposed to be the conservative response to these things. I don't care. I, 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 I use the terms I like, you know? Um, but we don't do that. We lose. So I get the skepticism. I'm just saying... Unlike secular politics and culture, at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's guarding the panic button. Uh, super chat. So Benedict might outlive Francis. Yeah, that would be the implication. Clearly. Which is strange as all get out when one moves to consider that Benedict retired uh, oh, almost nine years ago. I've been saying eight years. I got to update my calendar, right? In February... He decided to make this uh, move, the retirement, on the basis of health. That's nine years in February. If Francis makes it to February, then Benedict will have decided nine years ago that his health was too bad. He was on the way out. What the heck? Holy Father Emeritus, superstar, whatever your title is, Pope Benedict XVI Emeritus, Bishop, but not really Bishop of Rome, who wears the white shoes, but isn't Bishop. Whatever your name is now, uh, whatever your handle is, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, what is the deal? Because if I say, hey, look, I got to get out. I, I mean, think about it. If you're retiring from work, if you're, you're saying, look, I got to peace out today. I am about to puke. I, I got to peace out. And your boss is like, okay, go on. And you're like acting sick. You're like, this is exigent. I got to hit a bathroom. I don't want to puke in the work bathroom because then other people can get sick. It's gross. And then he's like, yeah, take off. And then first thing you do is you're, you know, you get pep in your step. You're walking to your car happily and you're just faking that you had to puke. And your boss sees you walk into your car. Then on lunch break, your boss goes to the same, you know, super salad bar you do. And you're ordering a big delicious salad. <laughs> then all of a sudden, your boss is going to start calling you Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, right? Because it looks like you lied about begging out because of sick. If you say, hey, I got a note, sick note, and then you're great, then it's fine. And Ratzinger did it to himself. He's doing it to himself. And when he talked to um, Peter, uh, oh, what's his name? I always forget. 
Last Will and Testament is the book. Someone, someone remind me. Um, the Last Will and Testament of Benedict uh, interview book by Peter something. I'm always forgetting names on this channel. You guys know that. He said, like, look, I'm feeling better than I was the last few years of my pontificate. Don't tell us that. Or, or I mean, that shouldn't even be the case. I don't want to be lied to either. But what? I don't know. That shouldn't be the case. You retired because you said you were dying. And don't, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, these are all talking points. Do, uh, why are they talking points? Because I've said them so many times before, you know? Don't tell me that he saw Benedict decline because he had Parkinson's. Guess who doesn't have Parkinson's? Ratzinger. And also, guess who knows how well the curio works when a pope gets Parkinson's? Benedict does. Ratzinger. Because he was his number two and he ran the church. So he knows that the mechanism is in place for the pope to die in office even though he's mentally incompetent at that point. Uh, super chat. Uh we only need one base pope to win. Would you agree? Of course. Yeah, of course. I I mean, look. That's why there's always hope. That you know, that's another reason there's always hope. You know what they say in heavyweight boxing? This ain't the case in lower weights of boxing, but why are you watching anything less than heavyweight boxing anyway? There's always a puncher's chance, right? All we need is one. We don't need four papabile candidates that are getting seriously talked about those increase the odds but all we need is one Deontay Wilder straight right hand across the face of I don't know the College of Cardinals <laughs> is that you know Deontay Wilder has the heaviest the, the hardest punch in in heavyweight history ever hardest punch in human history Deontay Wilder he's not a good boxer right he's he's lost to uh, Tyson Fury Twice now. Basically, the first match was a loss. He's basically lost to Tyson Fury three times now. Because Tyson Fury is one of the most skillful boxers in the history of the world. He was also a Catholic. Um, why am I bringing this up? Deontay Wilder, it was always a good match in this um, trilogy fight. It was a great rivalry because you had a, a boxer against a puncher. A really, really good boxer against a really, really superlative puncher. Wilder always had a puncher's chance. Even if things are as bad as conservative Catholic pundits are saying, and I've been saying it for lots of years too, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking a step back because I think Francis has made himself sufficiently unpopular to warrant taking a step back. But even if things were as bad as I was saying two years ago at the next conclave, three years ago, you still always have a puncher's chance, and all we need is one really good pope. All you need is one really good pope. I mean, by good Pope, I don't just mean conservative. I don't just mean traditional. I mean activist traditional, which don't usually go together. We need an activist traditionalist. It's like, boom, we're doing we're doing TLMs every Sunday, Novus Ordo, sorry. And the only Novus Ordo that's allowed to be said, and it's going to be stuck one at every parish for the people that have grown acclimated to it. At 2 p.m., it's inconvenient. If you want to go to the Novus Ordo, it's going to be a, a repurposed, reimagined Sacrosanctum Concilium Mass that's going to look like the TLM anyway. We need bishops who are super-based, super-right-wing. A pope can do that. We need, you know a lot of the disciplinary needs of the church. So yeah, you're right. There's always a, a puncher's chance. Okay. Uh, 
remember, I have new classes out for next semester. Not as many at the Retrograde Classical Academy as we debuted this fall because spring tends to be lighter. But one of the classes that you will take an interest in that I will be teaching personally is an introduction to the U.S. Constitution course. Why? Because between January and May, those are the five months that will separate December, whatever the date is, 7th, 2021, our date now, our month now, and the release of the holding of the most important Supreme Court case that has ever happened on a moral basis in the history of the Supreme Court. You guessed it, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health when Roe can be overturned. I'm going to give you the tools to understand what they're talking about. Now, I can't affect or influence even the outcome of this case, of course, but understanding what is meant by privileges and immunities clause, right? Equality clause, um, equal protection clause, second due process clause. Those are all 14th Amendment uh, uh, doctrines. And the 14th Amendment is the ruse by which we got Roe federalized, abortion made illegal to be illegal. The first due process clause, what's that? A lot of people don't even know what they are. It is, it is a really good course. It's, it's fascinating stuff, and I'm going to make it all really easy and fun in this uh, intro to the U.S. Constitution course. Go to timothyjgordon.com and click enroll. Also, what we're doing, I'm not calling it Latin 2 in the spring. We are going to be continuing with the 14-week Latin class that we ran this fall. And if you want to catch up between now and January the 20th, which will be the first class of the second semester of Latin 1, it's not Latin 2, it's second semester of Latin 1. If you want to catch up, you can purchase together the recorded classes of the first, the fall semester of Latin 1. And you could, you could do, if you're really motivated, you could do these one class per night. You could do it in two weeks, 14 classes, and be ready for January the 20th. And then live classes starting January the 20th, the second spring semester of Latin 1. It's really important that, that everyone out there know a bit of ecclesiastical Latin. Because what, what are we saber-rattling for? We want the return of the TLM. I don't know how many people I talk to that say that, and it's like, oh, well, do you know, are you at least dangerous in ecclesiastical Latin? They're like, oh, I, I think I know it from the Mat No, study it, study it. Treads have to learn ecclesiastical Latin. Just, I mean, you don't have to be a Latinist, a Latin master. You don't have to be Reggie Foster. But you should, you know, if we're talking this much about it, we should, we should walk the talk. Okay, so go to timothyjgordon.com, click enroll. Those are the main two courses being offered. We're talking about also offering a Tolkien course. Um, but we're, we're going to see. We're going to get feedback from you all, parish orphans and retrogrades. Thank you for tuning in today. Pray for the Pope. Not necessarily that he turns it around. I think this pontificate probably needs to come to an end. But rather that, you know, somehow he can, he can turn it around before he dies so that he can uh, have a chance at salvation. I'm, I'm talking a personal thing ubiquitous Christian love applied to the Pope who's been like an enemy to Catholic traditionalists. So we, we, will, we will pray uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. 
Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, protect the church. St. Ambrose, it's your feast day today, December the 7th. Please protect the doctrine of the church. You were basically the godparent to St. Augustine. Please protect the doctrine of the church from this Pope that we just prayed for. We need the continued prayer because if he's going out, he's probably going to go out fighting Pope Francis. He's probably going to accelerate things even faster than what we've seen in the last 18 months. Dez volt, people. Amor fati.